following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. This morning, I wanted to talk about something I struggle with myself, um, and I can only talk about what God talks with me about. I don't like to go beyond that. I'm not... I'm not a pastor. I'm just here to share a message with you. So uh, what I want to talk about this morning is how do we view the world? How do we view those people out there who don't know Christ? How do, what, are we, what are we actually seeing when we look out into the world? So we're going to uh, explore that today through a couple of men who uh, reacted very differently when God asked them to uh, spread good news to people that they considered enemies of God. They consider it unclean. We have our own view of unclean, right? We really do. Each one of us does, and as a church. Um, and I want to talk about that this morning. Um, somewhere along the way, we, uh, we started seeing people of the world as the enemy and not the prize. Not everyone, but certain people. Um, and uh, Satan even sees them as a prize, which is... Sad, it's for evil reasons, but he sees it. Why don't we see it? Um, he can see the real battle. Why can't we see it? We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, so those of us who are filled with the Spirit, um, due to Christ and exposed to God's truth, we don't have any excuse other than to see people of the world, no matter what they are and believe, as prizes for God, valued and loved by Him, no matter their immediate state. This is not talking about what they will become, what they, what they will do later. This is talking about the immediate state. When we see someone, when no matter who that person is, no matter what they believe, God puts them in your life, puts, puts them in your life, and we're ob- we are obligated to speak to them. We're obligated to befriend them. Um, you can't witness to somebody you hate. You can try, but it's, they're going to know it immediately. You're just doing it out, you're doing it out of obli- obligation, the bad type of obligation. Um, so we're going to explore two stories of men chosen by God to bring salvation to unbelievers. We're going to start with Jonah, and then we'll look at the story of Peter and Cornelius. So I'm going to start off by reading through Jonah a little bit. I don't know how... F- much of it I'm actually going to, I don't know if I'll read the whole thing or not. I'd like to, but we'll see what time brings. So I'm going to read through and I'm going to stop once in a while. And I'm going to talk about it. And if there's anything that you guys want to add or whatever, you feel free to. Okay, this is, this is going to be a discussion if you want it to be. So, so let's start off with Jonah. Now in the world, now in the name Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great... Well, let's stop there, actually. Why was he running? 
They didn't deserve it. Right. But what did God say? They do deserve it. Right? So immediately he's going against God's will because of his own pride. I, I do not want these people to hear what God has to say. I'm better than them, and I'm not going. I'm just not going. To run away from God means you're pretty stubborn. You're very stubborn. <laughs> but we've all done it. We all, and there are different ways we run, right? We ignore people, or we um, do it out of obligation quickly. Okay, I did my job, now I'm going to move on. I told them about God, and that's enough. Um, we, have our, we all have our own ways of running when we're not, when we're not uh, our heart isn't on set talking to certain people. Um, and hopefully we can all get over that in time, look at people as the prizes that they are. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was on the ship into the sea and lightened it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and went to sleep. So the captain came to, and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps God, your God, the God, will, help, will, give you a thought, will give thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know, know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and they, fell, and they all fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us, on whose, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? Who are your people? And he said to them, I'm Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Because he had told them. So at this part, these, these pagan sailors, basically, have more faith than he does. They're telling him, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you turning against your God? You know what's going to happen. And you brought it all on us, too. So they're telling him, you know, he says, I, I worship the God that created everything, the heavens and the earth. So they're like, well, pray to him. Do, what, are you supposed, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're killing all of us. So, um, and then he said to them, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? And the sea grew more and more temp- tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So it, this actually shows a really good spot, too, where he's, Basically saying, just throw me in the ocean. I'd rather do that than go back. I'd rather die than go back and talk to these people. Um, nevertheless, the men rode hard. They didn't throw them in at first. And to get, to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So God's working there even through Jonah's disobedience. He just saved this boatload of people. I mean, it's not, we're not, you know, it's, the, the message has never changed. God's message never has changed. 
He loves people and he wants them to come to him. So a great fish swallows Jonah. So we don't necessarily need to read all this middle part, but I'll kind of paraphrase it. Great fish swallows Jonah. He repents inside the fish, not for not talking to the people, but for not. It, it's almost like an emotional plea, Lord, get me out of here. So the fish goes back to Nineveh, throws him up on the beach, basically, <laughs> or into the water, wherever it is. He makes it up onto the shore. Um, but you don't see Jonah here actually saying, I'm sorry I didn't talk to these people. You see him basically trying to schmooze God. Lord, I know you're the greatest in, the, in all, of, all of the universe, which is all true. But why is he saying it? He's saying it to get out of the fish, not because he necessarily means it at that point. Um, well, I shouldn't say he doesn't mean it. I should say his, his motives may not be quite as pure as what, what it says here. Okay, so then we go on to, uh, to Jonah going to Nineveh. So then the word, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. So this is a lot of people for back then. This is a huge city. Um, Nineveh would be like trying to would be compared to, in today's terms to London or Los Angeles. It's a big city. Um, Jonah began to go into the city. He went in a day's journey, so he got into the city a little bit where people could hear him. And he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed. They called for fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest, from the greatest of them to the least. So they reacted the complete opposite way that Jonah thought they were going to. Because supernaturally God is there working. They, they, he was... Jonah was assuming that because they were sinners or they didn't believe like he did, that they were not going to react. It was just going to be a waste of time. I'm going to go and preach to them, and then God's going to blow the city up. So I'm going to do my job. I'm going to go and tell them that, and then I'm going to, and then I'm going to enjoy the fireworks. And that's basically what his, his attitude is at this point. And we get that attitude sometimes, right? We, we stop and think about all these people that, we disagree with for one reason or another out in the world and we forget that we have knowledge they don't we know things they don't trying to pour trying to put morality on them from us isn't going to work that's not what it's about it's about bringing people in then the change happens you don't change them first and then and then decide to bring them the gospel that's the opposite of of what God has planned. So when you're, whenever you're talking to anybody, remember, always remember what God is doing in them, not what, maybe not the things you disagree with in the moment. So they call for a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So everybody, even the king, is repenting, which was a big deal back then. For the king to repent meant it was, everybody did it. There was no, there was no, uh, sitting this one out. So the, uh, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, and covered himself with sackcloth and ashes. 
And he issued a proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, waste any, uh, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, let them, uh, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn, turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster and he had, <clears throat> that he said that he would do to them. And he did not do it. So they repent. God turns, which I have a feeling, I have more than a feeling, I know God had this planned out. God's proving a point here to Jonah and to them um, that he is merciful. And it's not just, you know, it's not just the Hebrews. He's starting a nation with the Hebrews of holiness, but he, lo- he wants it to spread. Even, even back in the Old Testament, he's, he's constantly bringing the word out to other people um, and inviting them in. So this entire city falls down before the Lord. complete opposite of what Jonah thought was going to happen. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. So Jonah's mad because he thinks God is turning against everything that he has ever taught. So holiness, cleanliness, all of that, Jonah's very mad because in his mind all that's gone out the window. Uh, He's like, God, what are you doing? You, you tell me I have to act a certain way, and now these people don't, and they get salvation. Well, that's how our God works. He, he, loves, he loves all the things that he made. He wants, he wants that salvation to spread out into everybody. So, And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is, this, is not this what I said when I was, it, when I was yet in the country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life for me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? <laughs> so Jonah says, I ran away because you were going to save these people. I didn't, did not want this to happen. And that's why I ran. I knew what you were going to do. I know your nature. I know who you are. I know that no matter what's happening out there, you're going to, you're, what is it? Let's read it. God is merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Hallelujah is right. Hallelujah is right. You know, the only thing that's separating us from that disaster is Jesus. If you, if you think for a minute that you're any better than anybody else, just lay yourself bare before God and you'll see that the only only thing that separates you is the blood of Christ. And then God questions him. Do you do well to be angry? He's he's questioning. He's asking, why is this a good thing? aren't, Aren't you seeing this, Jonah? Look at it. Take time to contemplate what you're doing here. And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there 
So he makes a little, like a little sunshade, basically. And he sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of, of the city. So he's still convinced the city's going to get destroyed because of uh, his preconceived idea of who these people were. He sees them repenting, but he still thinks God's going to destroy them because they're not good enough. Now the, God, now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So now he's happy because he has shade. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm, and then that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun bare down on the head of Jonah so that it was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. So again, he, he keeps, Jonah, it seems, is, is, he is so disgusted with what's happening and his heart isn't changing that he would rather just, he himself die, either they die or he die. Somebody's, he's not happy with either, right? He's not happy with God's result. So he goes, I want to die or I want you to destroy them. Um, because his heart's hardened against these people. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yeah, I do well to be angry for the plant, angry enough to die. So he's, he's very dramatic, <laughs> which I understand. <laughs> and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night. So this tempor- temporary thing you love, um, and God's using that as an example against the people. And, and then God says, I, And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? So, so this is a huge city back then. 120,000 people is a lot of people in the past. And, and what he's, he's talking to Jonah and saying, why, can you, why do you care about a plant but none of these people? I mean, think about our lives. We care about, we care about work. We care about our stuff. And I'm not putting this on everyone. This is, this is me. We care about our own agenda. We care about everything but the people around us especially the ones that don't agree with us. You know what I mean? And so in, in the, the saddest part of this book is how it ends. How does it end? There's no, the, the, there's no reconciliation for Jonah. For all I know, he's still sitting there. He, he, underneath the, you know what I mean? So if you ever see an old guy out in, near Nineveh, you'll know he's Jonah. So. <laughs> But it's the idea that he, it, he never had reconciliation with these people. I don't know if he had reconciliation with God later. We don't know what happened after the book. But God wrote this book specifically to show what happens when you harden your heart against people that you don't like or don't agree with or, or, or feel like they're unclean in some way. Um, so, and, and they don't know their right hand from the left. And I, uh, people in the world don't have exposure to the truth. Um, you can't judge them by standards they are not convicted by. And why are we? We're con- we're convicted because we have the Holy Spirit. 
That's why we are allowed. We see what we see, and we know what we know. Um, without the Holy Spirit, it's just lip service. It doesn't do. It doesn't get inside you. Um, and it says, which which of us can say we are more righteous than anyone without Christ? Without Christ, we are we're we're all in the same boat. We're all beggars. It's just Christians know where to find the food, right? We know where Jesus is. We know. We, we, we're allowed, we can turn to Christ. He cleanses us. He takes care of us. Um, yeah, so that ends in a very sad way for people. And, you know, let's not have any of our lives, our ministries, anything we do in this place, outside this place, ever end that way. Don't allow it to. Always make sure there's reconcili- with the, reconciliation with the people and with God. God may ask you to, to talk to people you absolutely can't stand. Absolutely cannot stand what they believe in, what they stand for. But the truth is, it's not up to us. We don't get to pick who we, who we minister to. And again, looking at someone and saying, well, they're a good person, so I'm going to tell them about Christ. That's not what God's looking for. He may be in the moment, don't get me wrong, but God, God, you'd be surprised who God puts in your life and what, what they're like and what, and what you have to, the, um, I shouldn't say endure because that's not really a very nice thing to say, but things you do have to endure sometimes and get to, you, get to know people and understand them, know where they're coming from. You even learn yourself. Some things that we think is truth, because of our own bias, our own confirmation bias, what we, what we want to um, fit into our process of thought is wrong. It's just wrong, or it's misguided in some way. So let's move up to uh, Acts chapter 10, and I want to contrast Jonah with how Peter reacts when he's asked to witness to a, a Roman centurion named Cornelius. So we're going to read through that for a minute and contrast that. So Peter and Cornelius. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually. Um, Before we go any further, I just want to make sure that we understand that um, all these things that Cornelius did, Peter didn't know that yet. Peter didn't know Cornelius. Peter knew that he was Roman and that, and eventually God tells him that it's okay for him to witness to this guy, to tell him about Jesus. But, at this, but remember, these, these are all great things that Cornelius is doing. But the reason he gets, he's chosen it's not necessarily because of what, these are all great things, but he's chosen by God just like we are. Not because of what we do, but because of that's just the way God has chosen people. And don't ask me how that works. I don't know why he chose anybody that <laughs> he did. So, uh, a devout man who feared God with all his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror. terror. 
and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your arms arms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the seaside. And when the angel spoke to him, um, when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So he's being he's being obedient already. God speaks to him, and he's like, "Okay, this is we're gonna I'm gonna send some guys to um, to go find this man that God wants uh, to talk to me." Now, one thing to remember is for Cornelius to send a cohort to Peter. The the Romans viewed viewed the Jews as less than human. Um, they the Jewish people were just someone to control, to take over their land, to get money from. The, the, the Romans overall were just, they, they were, it was a lot like other empires. They were the kings. They, they looked down on everybody else. So the Romans looked at the Jews as dirty. The Jews looked at the Romans as unclean. And that's something to remember is um, Peter is asked to, to speak to a man who's his enemy. That's his enemy. Cornelius, on, in every worldly sense, is his enemy. So we'll keep going here. The next day, as they were on their journey, and they approached a city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour and prayed. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals, reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. So he's having the same uh, experience as Jonah. God's asking him to do something that has been prohibited by God in a lot of ways. But now God is asking him to do it, so... Peter's reluctant. He's like, I, I don't, I've never eaten anything unclean, which I find hard to believe, but he may, he may who knows. Um, so Peter, uh, this goes on. Um, so Peter says, no, I'm not going to, I can't eat that. I've never eaten anything unclean. He probably, maybe he thought it was a test. I don't know. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. So anytime something happens more than once in Scripture, three times, two times, whatever it is, pay attention to it because it's important. Um, So this happens three times. What God has made clean, do not call common. So God has made it clean to witness to all the Gentiles. That means us. Uh, Gentile... For all, you guys all, most of you guys know this. Gentile just means anybody who is not Jewish. That, and, that, and that word is a blanket word that covers everybody. Um, so the Gentiles are, are okay. Now we're free game for them. Go ahead, go after them, give them the word. Now while Peter was inward, inwardly perplexed, so he's still thinking about this, trying to figure it out, as what the vision might, with the vision that he had had might mean, Behold, 
the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? So God has to reassure Peter here because Peter doesn't know what's going on. When, when Roman soldiers show up at your gate asking for you, you don't just run out. <laughs> okay? The, he wanted to make sure they weren't there to kill him. He didn't know why they were there um, because he hadn't been told Cornelius was coming. He was just told, go ahead, you can start giving the word to people that you thought were unclean before. So at this point, God says, it's okay. Go out with the guys. They're not going to hurt you. Um, you hope. <laughs> and he invited them in to be their guests. So not only does he accept them, but now they're guests and they're in his home, um, which is a very big deal back then. You didn't invite people. It was common to give hospitality, but it wasn't common to give hospitality to someone you considered a Gentile. That, wasn't, that was not common. So right, right here, all of a sudden, Peter's mindset has changed. He's already seeing people as different. Um, the next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And the following, so he had some of, uh, some of his other brothers go with him, which is a good idea. When, whenever you're doing anything from God, don't do it alone if you can help it. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So this was becoming a big deal. Um, and all his relatives and close friends were all unsaved people, and they were all Romans probably, or Greeks, or which might have been considered the same at that point. Um, but, they were, but they were Gentiles. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted it up, saying, Stand up, I, I too am a man. And he talked with him. And he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for you, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. So right here, Peter says, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And that actually is exactly what it says when you look it up. So, you know, we, we get our idea, and we all know this, but I think over the last few years we've forgotten. We've turned a lot of groups of people into our enemies. We look at them as a political adversary or a social adversary or whatever it may be, on both sides, everything. It's, we need to get back to the original, the original message. The original message is the gospel. That's our job. That's our business. That's what we do here. If you're doing anything else, or I shouldn't say that, because all the other things are important, but if you're doing anything above that, if, if you're taking the gospel and deciding who's clean and who's unclean by the gospel or by your beliefs, that is not what God is not pleasing to God. He does not want that. He wants us to look at every person as a prize, not an enemy. You mean, 
And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Okay, send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I went, so I sent for you at once, and now you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So his whole family is there, friends, everybody. They all show up, and uh, so Peter's got all these people because he was obedient. And, he, and he, he didn't fight God. He didn't. He contemplated it, but he didn't fight God. He didn't say, "Well, they don't believe what I believe. They don't. They, they're, they're drug addicts. They're. That person's had an abortion. This, this. You know what I mean? All the different things that we look at as as unclean, because the church has its own list of unclean. So do we, and we need to start to get past that. Now, that doesn't mean you, you put aside truth. It just means that you have to look at people for... You have to look past the immediate state. Um, I just want to make sure. So one last thing I wanted to read... And then, and it's something we've all heard a million times, but you can never hear it too much. You can never, ever hear it too much. There it is. It's the Great Commission. I, I know at times I can be repetitive with scriptures and things that I read to people, but... It's important, and we need to keep hearing it over and over again. If we didn't, we wouldn't have the book. So we need to, we need to hear it. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So there, there's, this is one very important part of this. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so God's word... Is truth, and it's there is nothing above it. So if Jesus says it, that's the truth. So therefore, go and make the disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All nations. That's a word used. Um, and that one in Greek means everybody that's not Jewish. So to take that and put it into our, our time, that's saying everybody who's not saved. Everybody who, and, and that word everybody means everybody. It doesn't mean who we pick. Um, and, you know, and I did look. Yeah, okay. I just want to make sure that we do start seeing people as a prize. And, and this isn't a rebuke to anybody other than me. <laughs> it's just I want us all to remember it when we're out there. Every single person we come across is a prize. 
And, and not a prize in the sense that it's a big trophy we can set up, but maybe it is. I, I don't know. If you're going to brag about something, that probably is the thing to brag about, I guess. Um, but I also want to remind people that a lot of times now in the world, people are afraid of Christians. And I don't mean afraid like physically afraid, but they're afraid of us. They're afraid we're going to judge them. We're afraid we're going to view them as unworthy. I deal with this all the time. I spent half my winter convincing people that Christianity wasn't a political cult. And, and that's why I want to do this. And, and it, it, it's very convicting to me. Um, and I want you to know how I feel about it. Um, people flocked to Jesus because he was safe. He was safe. You could sin. You, you could be the worst person in the world. He didn't tell you it was okay, but he was safe. You could go to him. He would, he would forgive you. He would, you know, he, would, he would accept you where you were because he knew that at that point you're not what you're going to be. And even if you are, he sees you for what you will be later. It's, he, he was safe. Wouldn't it be awesome if people would flock to this place because we're safe? We're safe for them. It's a safe place for them to come. It's a safe place to not be judged. Now, that doesn't mean that truth isn't going to come into it and people are going to be changed, but the change comes later. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We don't change people and save them. That's not how it works. God changes them. We tell them the word. Hopefully they're saved. I don't know. That's up to God. And then the changes happen. And it may take a long, long time. You know, the worst thing we can do is beat people over the head and say, well, you need to do this, this, and this, and this. And that's what happens, and a lot of people don't like church anymore because of it. A lot of, my, a lot of people I deal with every day won't deal with church because of that. So I want this to be a safe place. Now, that doesn't, like I said, it does not mean that we put truth aside. It just means that we're gentle with it, and we use it appropriately when it's, when it's needed. It's not a bludgeon. It's, it's, a, it's something to to show healthy living with God. That's what truth is. So that's what I wanted to share this morning. And I do have one more thing that I just wanted to read quickly. Um, <laughs> read quickly, right? I've been reading all morning. God, sorry. <laughs> um, but this is from, uh, I like C.S. Lewis a lot. And this is from uh, Mere Christianity. And it kind of talks about it. And it, it sets it out in a good way. So, The rule for all of us is perfectly simple. Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do, do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behazi- behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do good to him in turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. There is indeed one exception. If you do him a good turn, not to please God and obey the law of charity, but to show him that what a fine, forgiving chap you are, and to put him in your debt, and then sit down and wait for his gratitude, you will probably be disappointed. People are not fools, and they have a very quick eye for anything like showing off or patronage. But whenever we do good to one another, just because it is a self-made, just because it is a self made like us by God, 
and desiring its own happiness as we desire ours, we shall have learned to love it a little more or at least dislike it a little less. And I, I like that because that's, what we're, that's our aim, to make this a place where people are loved and, and taught how important they are and the gospels preached to everyone. Um, so I just, I, I just want to make sure we all just remember that. So let's pray for a second. Heavenly Father, we ask that um, you put this in our hearts. You help us to, uh, to remember that people aren't the enemy. We have an enemy, but it's not the people around us. They're just pawns and big game, Lord, to one person anyway. To, the, to you, Lord, that they're, they're prizes, they're loving, they're creations that we need to look at as made in your image. So, Lord, allow us to always see that way. Holy Spirit, we ask you to intervene whenever our flesh starts to make us look at people in a way that isn't appropriate. So, we ask you to help us to love people. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, Checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.